morning. How are y'all doing this morning? It's an honor and privilege to bring the, the word of God to you uh, this morning. Um, I feel like I preach here enough. I don't have to go into a, a long introduction of who I am, but uh, I always feel compelled just to uh, introduce my wife. I'm here with my wife, Kelsey. She's in the back with, with my two girls. Uh, if you hear a lot of noise, uh, that's because my, my oldest is very similar to me. She's, uh, she's loud and she has a strong personality. And so, but we're glad to be with you all this morning. Um, um, I'm just, I was meditating last night over Ephesians chapter 2 and thinking through, um, as we come to faith, God has not only reconciled us vertically to God, but he's reconciled horizontally a people, uh, uh, the church. And so um, there's this phrase out there that it's just, it's just me and Jesus, this idea of isolation, individualism. And so if you're a guest here, um, I, know, I know I don't work here, but... Uh, I want to encourage, if you're a guest, get plugged in, that we're called to be a part of the body of Christ. And so this idea that we're going to lone ranger um, our faith, that we're really going to grow and mature alone, is just not biblical. And so I, I encourage you, if you're a guest, this is a great uh, church. Pastor Brand is a good friend of mine, and so uh, you'd be in good hands. So th- this morning, I, I typically... Um, have a text I'm going to preach, and I kind of walk through it, uh, what you might call an expository sermon, um, but this morning I'm going to preach more of a, of a thematic sermon, more of a theme. And so I'm going to preach the idea on the theme of union with Christ, union with Christ. And so we're going to be rooted in the book of Colossians, but we're also going to look at a handful of passages uh, from Paul's letter. And so uh, if you want to open your book to Colossians, uh, I'm going to work my way through a couple different sections in Colossians. Um, and I just want to forgive me. I, I turned in my slides late, and so the slides won't be up on the stage. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be moving very quickly. And so if not, just take notes, and you can um, refer back to the scripture later um, as you reflect and think through the sermon. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in. Father, we, we come to you. We're just thankful that we get to know you. Lord, we're thankful for who you are. Lord, you are a God who is sovereign, holy, Lord, faithful. Lord, you are consistent even when our, our current culture is inconsistent. Well, I'm reminded in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget. And he's referring to the deliverance out of Egypt through the Red Sea. So he says, remember the God that you served delivered you out of slavery, out of Egypt. Remember who that God is. So, Lord, I pray against spiritual amnesia in this church, that we remember who you are and your character. And so, Lord, would you prepare the soil of our hearts, the seed of your word, to fall in good soil and produce fruit? Would you speak through me that everything that comes from my lips would be glorifying to you and edifying to the body? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So as a, as a father of two daughters, I, I've recently been immersed and I've become very familiar, familiar with the Disney princess movie genre. So Elsa, Anna, Moana, Tiana, Jasmine, Mulan, Ariel, Belle, Cinderella, Merida, Sleeping Beauty, you name it, I've probably seen it. Not only have I seen it, I could probably sing word for word a lot of the soundtracks. And so the way it works in our house is Mariah, our oldest, she gets hooked on a movie and we'll watch that movie over and over again. Listen to the soundtrack on repeat, buy some dolls from that movie, and, and we will just wear that movie out. Wear it out until, until we move on to the next one. 
And so currently, the movie we've currently been hooked on is, is, is the movie Tangled. Is the movie Tangled. So Tangled is this movie about Rapunzel, a princess abducted at birth by an evil old woman. And she was abducted because her hair had powers to help people maintain their youth and to heal. So Rapunzel was locked up in a tower, confined and isolated, raised her whole life uh, uh, in fear of the outside world. And so it's through a series of events that she comes to the end of the movie and realizes that she is the long-lost princess, that she's royalty, that her daddy is the king. And so it's such a discovery that causes her to reinterpret everything about her life, her identity, her capacity, capabilities, the resources available to her, her future, her inheritance. From that moment on, she had new eyes for everything and everyone. But here's the thing. This had always been true of Rapunzel. It was just something that was kept hidden from her. She was blinded. It had no impact on her life until her eyes were open, until she could see. So in the Bible, there's this metaphor, this metaphor of seeing or understanding things through sight, the ocular metaphors of Scripture, light and darkness, blindness and seeing. Jesus said in Matthew, Mark 18, verse 17 through 18, do you have eyes to see but fail to see? You see, the Christian faith is a form of spiritual seeing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by what we be- not by what we believe, We live by what we believe, not by what we can see. So there is the real real world as we know it, the way things appear, the things that we can see. But then according to to Scripture, there is life as God sees it, as, as God tells it. And so as Christians, we need to be able to see what Dr. Don Davis says, what is really real which is beyond the the outside, beyond the external, beyond what we can visually see and sense. And what is really real ought to form the way we see ourselves, see each other, and see the world. So the reality is we have all been shaped and formed to some degree by this Western mindset, this way of thinking, which is directly contrasted to what is really real, the gospel. And so, briefly... I want to look at how our culture has taught us and shaped and formed us to think about our identities, our identities. And so identity is where we gain our our self-understanding. We ask the question, who am I? Identity is where we gain self-value and a sense of stability. And so just real quick, in non-Western or more traditional cultures, uh, they say that you find your identity based on the role you play in your family. Father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, you gain honor by your community if you are a good family member. And so your identity is found um, in who who you are in the group, who you are in the family. And you make decisions for the greater good of the community or the family. So another way you could say it is in a traditional culture, one finds their identity through self-sacrifice. One finds their identity self-sacrifice. So, so, so that's, that's non-Western traditional culture. Now, modern culture says you find your identity by looking inward. This is Charles Taylor who calls this the, the culture of authenticity. Or, or another idea is expressive individualism. 
And so this way values autonomy, individuality, freedom from external authority. And so this says that no one can tell me who I am, but I only find myself by looking inside and living the way I want to live. You've heard it said, just be yourself. Just be yourself. This way says, I have the right to define my own existence and meaning. And so we say that I can choose who I want to be, when I want to be, and nothing outside of me will determine who I am. And so just a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we were coming back from the the K-State KU game. And so typically, this is where I insert myself and talk about how bad we beat KU um, but I'm also aware of what happened last night to K-State, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my comments. I'm going to hold my comments. And so uh, we're driving back in the car, and in the van, we're, we're playing the movie Frozen. Playing the movie Frozen. So if I could just continue with the, the Disney Princess theme for just a second. In the movie Frozen, Elsa starts singing the famous song. You all know it, Let It Go. Let It Go. And so I know y'all, Pastor, Pastor Brandon can sing. Um, I was not gifted with the vocal abilities that he was, so I'm going to... I'm going to spare y'all. So Elsa sings a song, Let It Go, and we see this idea here of expressive individualism. Just listen to the lyrics in the song. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what anyone says. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So the irony is she's singing about this idea of finding herself, uh, of being free, being whoever she wants to be, as she's currently locking herself in an ice prison of her own making. You see the irony there? So another way, other ways you may find your identity is is maybe you grew up in more of a religious or or more legalistic home or church. So your your identity is in how good of a person you are, moralism. I don't cuss, I don't drink, I don't have sex. I go to church every Sunday. I'm a pretty good person. And so you find your identity um, and, and who you are moralistically. Others find their identity in their jobs or their families. I mean, when you meet someone for the first time, what, what's the first thing you ask? Hi, my name's so-and-so. What, what do you do? So most of our identities are directly correlated to our profession. And so that's why if, we, if, if someone loses their job or if they have a job that, where, where they don't feel like it's, it's respectable to others, they feel shame or less than. So our identity is in our, in our jobs or, or the family. I've seen it where, where parents were structured their entire life, their identity, uh, where everything revolves around their kids. And then when their kids go off to college or get married, move away, th- th- their parents' lives, th- they fall apart. Because for 18 years, the very things that they put their identity in is gone. So what do they do? They start asking, who, who am I now? Who am I? Or, or if you're single, you have this idea that my identity is, is getting married, a significant other. And then you get married and you put all of that pressure on that, uh, that other person to, to meet your, your identity, your needs. And that, that's just a weight that they're not able to bear. And the irony is it, these are good things, family, working. But, but when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes idolatry. It becomes idolatry. And so... Um, Jesus, he talks about, if you're going to follow me as a disciple, you must hate your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, yes, even your own life. And so he's not talking about actually hating them, but he's saying that there must be no rivals to me. In comparison to following me, there must be no rivals. 
He's talking about good things, family. So these things cannot sustain the weight of our worship. Other things of prior identity and our sexuality, romantic relationships, power, or a, a current one that I think is, is very clear today is politics. Politics, come on now, I heard it. Politics, we, we find our identity, hope, security, sense of self of being a Republican or a Democrat. And we see this and how offended we get when someone has the audacity to disagree or critique my political party. And it's as if by critiquing my party or candidate, they have personally offended me. It's so interesting that when we discuss issues of politics, the fruit of the Spirit completely go out the window. We, we are so identified with a side that we live in a culture where we have justified and think it's okay to be mean, rude, unloving, slanderous, and, and in theory, say whatever we want on social media without thinking about the effects. And what's at the root? What's at the root of these aggressive emotions? Our identity. Our identity. So as we come to, to Colossians, it's important to understand that, that, that the city of Colossae, um, it was a diverse, religiously pluralistic culture. And so the church in Colossae, they were daily facing a buffet of ideologies, religious isms, things to put their identity in, much like today, much like today. And so um, here are just a handful of problems you face uh, when you try to choose your identity and when you have all of these options that, that, that present themselves. So first, is, is the first problem is paralysis. All right, follow me. Paralysis. When you exist in a space where you have unlimited freedom to choose your identity, unlimited options, it's actually very overwhelming. Have y'all ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Anyone ever been? Have you ever seen the menu? Have you seen the menu? The options. There's pages. There's page numbers. It's very overwhelming. And you have all of these possibilities and, and, and the weight of making the decision, wondering if it's the right one, leaves you paralyzed like a deer in the headlights. And so paralysis. Second is anxiety and exhaustion. Now, when your identity is reliant on your performance, whether it's in your job or however good a person you are, you are daily faced with the pressure to meet expectations or to be better than someone else. You're constantly working to be, to be accepted. To, to belong, and you start becoming anxious or a perfectionist because you think your identity relies on what you do, your effort. So paralysis, second, anxiety, exhaustion. Third is discontent. You'll be discontent because when you put your identity in all of these things, you have the expectation that those things will deliver, that those things will satisfy, that, that, that they meet your needs. And when they don't, it leads to feelings of dissatisfaction, always wanting more always wanting something else. And then lastly is, is you're being imprisoned. You're being imprisoned. We have these beliefs that, that, that we will experience freedom when we can choose our own identities. But really what happens is we, we look to find our identity um, in all of these things, and these things end up imprisoning us. Our job, sex, power, family, politics, money, they own us. They own us. And we give ourselves over to them, hoping that they will fill us up. And instead, they end up crushing us. They end up crushing us. So Brene Brown, 
I think speaks to our culture and, and how we find our identity. She says that when we are searching for our identity in all of these ways, we are hustling for worthiness by performing, perfecting, pleasing, and proving. Performing, perfecting, pleasing, and proving. And so this is just brief how we have been shaped by our culture to think about ourselves and our identity. And so, church, hear me, child of God, I want to urge you and encourage you that there is another way to be, another way to see and to live. Paul in Colossians 2, he says that we don't have to be taken captive by these false, hollow human ways of thinking. Now, on the outside, appear to look great. On the outside, they look fantastic. They're appealing. But Paul says they're grounded in human traditions and in wisdom. He says that in Colossians chapter 2. Then Colossians 3, look what he says. Since then, Colossians 3, 1, 2, 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on, on, on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what Paul is saying is is set your minds on this new reality which is found in Christ. What is really real, what is really real, this idea that we have union with Christ. Union with Christ. And so I want to encourage you. That, that this truth of union with Christ, it calls for us to use our imagination. Some of you are like, hold up now, imagination. Imagination, not only use our imagination, but allow our imagination to be taken captive and reshaped by our new story. Be taken captive and reshaped by our new story. And so here's a definition for imagination that, that's really helpful for me. Imagination is that distinctively, distinctly human capacity by which we image anything and everything that is not immediately visible to our eyes. All right, so, so it's this idea of picturing something that is real, but not visible. So if I ask you, what did you eat for dinner last night? All of you, there's images going off your head. I, I had Wendy's or I had chili or whatever. So our, our imagination. So the Bible calls us to engage our imagination. Just think about it. Jesus, time and time again, tells us, teaches through parables. Through parables, the, the, these word pictures and stories, these images to try to help us understand um, his teaching. Or the, the passage we just read, Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Or, or the text we read earlier, 2 Corinthians, fix your eyes on what is unseen. Jesus, again, he uses, he's constantly using images to help explain his teachings. John 15 which many would say this is where Paul gets the idea of union with Christ, this idea of vine and branches, abide in Christ, the true vine. Talks about bearing fruit, other images and ways of using imagination. Paul says our relationship in Ephesians 5 to Jesus is like marriage. He also refers to the church as being like the body or the temple. And so you see all of these word pictures So our imagination is almost necessary to take hold of this new reality that we have in Jesus, to understand this idea of of union with Christ. So what is union with Christ? Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Look how Paul starts out. He says, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So we see that Paul here, he essentially, he, he highlights two locations. The spiritual location, which is in Christ, and second, their physical location, which is in Colossae. And so the, the, Paul's saying that you are part of this earthly community in Colossae, this cosmopolitan melting pot of, full of cultures, ethnicities, and religious movements. Sound familiar? But most importantly, they are members of the people of God, the church, a part of a new family, brothers and sisters, saints, set apart in Christ. So I think the parallelism of, of in Colossae and in Christ implies that our spiritual location in Christ should directly affect our earthly presence, our physical location. So this, this immediately eliminates this idea that our faith is this abstract existence. But as the body of Christ, we're to be an incarnational presence in a specific location, time, and place. That our identity is first and foremost in Jesus Christ. So one scholar says that being in Christ is the essence of Christian proclamation and experience. He says that without treating the in Christ motif, we miss the heart of the Christian message. And so, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament, the word, uh, the phrase uh, Christian is only found three times in the New Testament, which, by the way, none are used by Paul. But Paul, here it is, his most common descriptor for those following Christ are those who are in Christ. In Christ. So Paul used the phrase in Christ in his letters 165 times. 165 times. So so this idea of being in Christ, what what does it mean? It means that, that Christ represents us. Christ represents us. So being in Christ means Christ represents us. And so a good illustration to help me explain this is if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8 and 9, we see two armies gathered against each other, the Philistines and the Israelites. And instead of them going to battle that day, they decide to send out a warrior from each side. You all know the story. The Philistines, who they send out? The giant Goliath. He was chosen to represent the Philistines. And so um, here's what Goliath said. Here it is. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, you win, and we will be your servants. And so here we have young David, the young shepherd boy from from Bethlehem who, who volunteers to take on Goliath. I'll do it. And so young David, you could say he, he represents all of Israel, and he fought on the behalf of his people. And guess what? He won. He won. He was their representative. And so David's victory was incredited to Israel, imputed to those he represented. So you could almost say that all of Israel that day was in David, even though they were inactive in the battle. In the same way, Christ represents those who are in him. We win because he is victorious. We win because he is victorious. Christ represents those who come to be his so thoroughly that we are said to be seen as, here it is, crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, buried with Christ, Romans 6.4, raised with Christ, Colossians 3.1, and seated with Christ, Ephesians 2.6. Paul literally, hear me, he literally had to uh, invent new words in the Greek to describe this new reality, crucified with, buried with, raised with, something so unique had happened that there were no words for it. 
No, a new vocabulary was needed. So Paul hits on this in Colossians 2, verse 12 to 13. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So we see at this idea of, of what is true of Christ is now true of us. What is true of Christ is now true of us. So being in Christ means we have been united with him. It means we have communion with him, that we have this intimate, personal relationship, that, that, that we are entwined with his life, that, that every part of his life has significance for us, that, that we share in his life, his obedience, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that it all becomes ours. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, if you turn there, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, man, if you read just the first chapter, the first 14 verses, Paul uses this phrase of in Christ or in him 11 times, 11 times. And he starts off in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Many scholars will say this idea of being in Christ is the key to understanding Paul's writings, and that's the fountainhead from which every blessings flow. I can keep going. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So when you are in Christ, the person you were before is no longer. The person you were before is no longer. The Christian life is not this, this self-improvement thing. It's not about altering the old self a little bit, but we're talking a whole new self. Galatians 3.26-28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slaves nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And look, look how beautiful this is, that when you are in Christ, you are, you are wrapped up, enveloped, covered, surrounded, engulfed, cloaked in Jesus. That when the Father sees you, he sees his son, his child. That you, this idea that you have been draped in the righteousness of Jesus. He covers you before the Father. So union with Christ, this is union with Christ. It means that we are in Christ, but it also means that Christ is in you, that Christ is in you. One of the most famous football movies of all time is a movie by the name of Rudy. Rudy, maybe you've seen it. Um, this story in a nutshell is about a, 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 a guy who's too small, too slow, undersized to play football, and he wants nothing more to, to play for the University of Notre Dame. So Rudy, he practices harder and worked harder than anyone else. And so there's a scene in the movie that the coach looks at Rudy and says, I wish God would put your heart in some of my players' bodies. I wish God would put your heart in some of my players' bodies. Likewise, in the Gospel of John, Jesus, he's teaching to his disciples, preparing them for his departure. And he says that it is actually an advantage that I go away. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. John 14, look what he says. 
Verse 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Oh, we see Jesus in the Great Commission. He says, uh, I'm surely with you always to the very end of the age. Back to Ephesians chapter one. I'm moving right along. Paul says, when you believed, you were marked in him, there it is, with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so this idea of being marked with the seal, the Holy Spirit, it's this idea of a deposit that shows ownership. It, 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 it legitimizes, it, it guarantees our inheritance. It, it, it acts as a down payment for our inheritance. So back to Colossians 1. I'm, I'm just showing you, this, this is a clear theme. Colossians 1, verse 27. Paul says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says that this mystery, which is about Christ, has been revealed to to the Gentiles. So it's not just for the Jews. It's it's for all peoples. So we see in Genesis 12, he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, that through you a nation will come, and this nation will bless all peoples. So his heart from the very beginning is this multi-ethnic family. Revealed to all Gentiles, which which is that Christ is in you which gives us hope for the future because we will experience glory when Jesus, man, when Jesus returns. We have hope, this futuristic hope that should lift us beyond our present circumstances. And the down payment of that hope of that inheritance is that the Holy Spirit is sealed in you. And so our hope is, is tied to this idea of, of Christ and Christ alone, that we're united with Christ, that we're in Christ, and that Christ dwells in you. Rankin Wilburn, a pastor out of California, he comments on Colossians 1, verse 27. This is what he says. Hear me. The same Christ who overcame every temptation and was perfectly obedient, that Jesus is in you now. The Jesus who had compassion on crowds, that, that Jesus is in you. The humble Jesus who, who led as a servant, who washed his disciples' feet, he's in you. The Jesus who repeatedly shattered racial barriers with his teachings and his life, that Jesus is in you. The Jesus who suffered and loved to the end, he dwells in you. And the Jesus who was raised to new life, that Jesus is living in you right now. And praise God for that. That that, that Jesus is dwelling in you. you. You have access to resurrection power that can make you new, that can make you like him. And so we are united with Christ, which means we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. And so what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us? That union with Christ, it gives us this whole new self-understanding a whole new identity, a whole new mindset. It, it, it acts as this lens which you can see in the whole world. And so the, 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 the famous show, uh, American Idol, uh, one of the most popular TV shows of all times, seeing competition, which, which by nature, for me, it would produce all kinds of stress and anxiety and nervousness if I'm one of the contestants, like straight up. I'm being in those rooms, I'm just pacing, sweating. 
And so it's this idea that you are performing and working for approval in front of some of the most iconic musical artists and producers in the world. And so I love it. At the end of the season, one of my favorite parts is when the competition is over and a winner has been crowned, I love it. The winner takes up the mic and performs one last time. But the difference is it was no longer a contest. He he or she was no longer working for approval, but from it. No longer working for approval, but from it. That they've already been accepted, so they had the sense of freedom. But they could just act in their giftings, not not trying to work and, and earn, but have a sense of freedom and acceptance and belonging. And so union with Christ, man, it gives us permission to rest. It gives us permission to rest. It frees us from exhaustion and anxiety because we are no longer working for our approval. We're not trying to earn ourselves into the kingdom. So in Christ, you are secure. You're accepted. You have confidence. You're you're content. You're free. Your identity is no longer found in your job or how good you are. Your family is no longer found in by, by looking within yourself. In, in Christ, our identities are received, not achieved. In Christ, our identities are, are, are received, not achieved. So friends, brothers and sisters, you, you can make the case that, that what makes the gospel good news is that you are united with Jesus today. You get to experience him today. The, the gospel isn't this fire insurance that, that you come to faith and you get the fire insurance you put it in your pocket and you have access to him today. You, you are united with him today. You are in Jesus today. The Holy Spirit dwells in you today. Union with Christ, it, it tells a whole new story. Like Rapunzel, I'm going back to it, therefore we should reinterpret our whole lives through this new reality, this new lens, our identity, our purpose, how we live, our hope. We no longer have to prove ourselves, craft an acceptable identity for other people, or work hard to manage our reputation. And but you could rest. That's why Jesus, he he invites us to follow him. He says, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come on now. Come on. Hey, Ben, y'all can can come on up. God looks at you and he sees hidden in Christ. Hidden. Hidden. Just think about that. The Father looks at you and he says, you are hidden in Christ. So, so this idea of, 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 of we're in Christ, that, that the Spirit is, is dwelling inside of us, it gives us new life and power. New life and power to change. He's given us the resources that we need to become who he's called us to become. To live into what is really real. And so the reality is this idea of union with Christ, what is really real, may be difficult for some of us because if we actually embrace this, this, this biblical theme of union with Christ, it will displace us from the center. It will displace us, which is uncomfortable because, we, man, we like to be the center of the universe. If you think about our sin and our conflict, it typically happens because we think life is all about us. We want life on our terms. But when you are united with Christ, when that is the central theme and reality you think everything through, I mean, he's now the center. He is now the center. 
So you now look at Jesus and look at how he lived, and you want to live just like him. You want to follow his example. Become like him. And this is hard because this leads to being dependent instead of independent. It leads to vulnerability. It leads to waiting and trusting. So I'm going to end with just a few verses from Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Paul says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So in Christ, nothing is left out. Jesus has explained God perfectly. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And he says in verse 10, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And so what Paul is saying that if fullness, if the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and if we are united with Jesus, then we too are brought to fullness in him. We are complete in him. That in Jesus, nothing is left out. And so the issue at the church in Colossae I was having is there's all of these options, and they want to add to Jesus because they think it's not a complete picture, that it doesn't bring fullness. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. In Jesus, man, you will be brought to spiritual fullness. Colossians 2, it's all over this letter. Paul says, verse 6, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were tired, overflowing with thankfulness. So Paul is saying, man, the Christian faith isn't this one-time decision you made, but it's a continual process. That you're in Christ and you're in Wichita, Kansas. Therefore, Wichita, Kansas, the culture is always going to be trying to shape and form you, to mold you, to, to drag you to, to conform. But he says, man, those of you who have received Christ, continue in him. Be built up in him. This idea that the gospel narrative, this new reality, what is really real should primarily shape and form who you are, how you think, how you see yourself, how you see the world, how you live, how you feel, your longings, your desires, your dreams. So when you're in the middle of a pandemic, yes, we can lament and cry out to the Lord, but our, our hope is in Jesus Christ. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. So he has authority over uh, the government. Whoever is in the White House, he has authority over uh, a virus. That Jesus Christ is supreme. He meets all of our needs. And so, brother and sister, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You have everything you need to live the life that God has called you to live. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you and we're thankful for this mystery, which is, is union with Christ. Lord, that you, you have brought us good news through your son Jesus and that we can now be united with him, that he, that he covers us, and that what is true of him is now true of us. Now you've given us access to your Holy Spirit, to resurrection power, to, to transform us and make us new, to live this life you've called us to live. And so, Father, I, would you just breathe on the bridge, church, Father, I pray against the devil's schemes who, who, who wants us to find our identity of all of these things that will leave us discontent and exhausted and, and anxious and paralyzed and lifeless. Father, I pray against those schemes. Father, and I pray that this church would, would set their minds and their hearts and their eyes on things that are above. They are... They are 
resurrected with Christ, that they have died with Christ, that what is now true of Christ is now true of them. So Father, be with each person here. Lord, would you just cover them in the truths of the gospel? Lord, that, that those truths would go from their, their head to their hearts. That it would directly affect how they live their life. Lord, we just praise you for, for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are supreme, that you are over all things. Lord, and that we're, though we are in the midst of pandemic and all kinds of things going on in our culture with this truth this 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 reality would it lift us beyond our present circumstances that we wouldn't set our minds on on earthly things the way things appear but the way things actually are father we praise you in Jesus name I pray amen